0: The Diary of Jill Woodbine Chapter 14 Supplemental Love is a Cunning Weaver of Fantasies and Fables I don't have a lot of time to recap all that's happened. I need to keep my head, regain my focus. My focus, honestly, is my Red Molly. But I've begun to think that she is a choke. A prank perpetuated by this sick cinderblock prison called H.G. World. In my weakest moments, I think David and manager Jack are in on it together. Along with Harris and Jebediah. None of them know anything about this human being I know, who Hank threatened. And is now just gone. Gone. Like dozens of people in this place. Dozens of people with lives and families documented in the files upstairs in the locked offices. God... This place will drive us to meltdown. I may be the next to go. But I have to hold on. Focus. Remember the mission. Remember the story. The true story is the fate of Red Molly. All the other tales in this crypt tell her story. And I will tell them all if it leads me back to her. And... If it leads to her corpse, then then let the bodies hit the floor because truth and beauty are dead. Right now, true believers, I can only report that I've gotten the newsletter off the ground and landed some fascinating interviews with the accomplished and deep-thinking management. I've been allowed access to places the general population is not and had my ass so thoroughly kissed that it still smells like Ruby's cherry lip gloss. Even by manager Jack, whose smile makes me think he knows everything and is just waiting. (sighs) I have to get my shit together, kids. I gotta take a breath. Just because your voice reaches halfway around the world doesn't mean you're any wiser than if it just reached across the bar. I think that's the quote. Information must be meaningful. Fine, let's talk about things. Let's go for some understanding, shall we? I found out who I was just before the world decided to end. It showed me something I want more than anything, and tried to take her away. Oh, sweethearts, that's bad. Auntie Jill will not have that. Want to know why? Until my senior year, I was pretty heavy into church activities and spent a lot of time on retreats. Between how I was raised and the weekly sermons from the Methodist Church, I was convinced that any type of physical intimacy or pleasure was a path to somewhere very bad. I wasn't afraid of it because There was something nice about believing that one day a handsome prince would arrive and punch my ticket from the world of sundresses and playdates to the world of marital bliss. I felt deep inside that when God wanted me to finally be with a boy, I would know it somehow. So I waited and let my heart guide me. As I crossed into that world of change when I'd share that one week every month with my mother that we affectionately referred to as Shark Week, I noticed the other changes taking place in my body and how others were paying attention. Boys started to notice me. I never responded to any of them with the same kind of enthusiasm they'd show for me. I mean, boys were still bags of farts and snot so far as I could tell. By the time my friends in church began dating, I still wasn't all that interested in them, despite evidence that some of them liked me. I wasn't the most popular girl or the prettiest by anyone's estimation, but I am pretty cute with my hair up in ribbons and a hint of Satan's crayon box around my eyes and lips. Plus, I had boobs, and the boys all had surging hormones, together a force of attraction not unlike electromagnetism. I listened to what my friends considered hot, and I appreciated the well-cut lines of our athletes in football and track. But... I tended to prefer the softer lines of the pretty boys with fuller lips and softer skin, the emo goth kids with long hair and mascara, or even the pale dorky gamers from the bus. I never admitted that, of course. Typical teenager. I joined the chorus talking about how hot Dyson Reed was. I looked at my friends around me and thought a strange thought. I wish they were boys. I didn't really understand why at the time the spring of my senior year in high school, one of my best friends was this skinny goofball from my neighborhood named Kenny Carthizer. He and I were best pals starting in second grade, but we grew apart for a while. I think I kind of spooked him when I started getting all curvy and girly. Still, we liked the same kind of weird stuff, and when I joined the school newspaper my freshman year, he was my sort of unofficial partner. Kenny was one of those kids with a boyish face, long black hair in a ponytail, and skin that never consumed enough sunlight at one time to get past basic factory-issue Caucasian skin tone. But he was smart and kind, especially to me. Dad didn't like him because I guess he knew something I didn't catch on to until that summer. Kenny had a huge crush on me. We were watching some movie in his parents' basement when he told me, and I was pleased that he worked up the nerve to admit it. In fact, as if he needed to drive the point home, he kissed me. His lips were soft on mine, so thick and full that made me want to bite on them. His hands were gentle, almost timid, but graceful as they held me. He wasn't like my first boyfriend who felt like he needed to pin me to something before we could make out, or the other one who thought tongue wrestling was a competitive sport. Kenny was tender. His words were sweet and sincere. He told me he'd been in love with me for a long time and I felt, well, very fond of him. I think I wanted him to feel loved in return, even if I wasn't sure where that love would come from so I embraced him. I found myself kissing him back, closing my eyes and enjoying the moment. He fumbled a bit trying to find the right position on the couch, and I tried to guide him to a position where he wouldn't get thrown down onto the bare concrete floor. Kenny was very enthusiastic, and I tried to be. I felt something for Kenny, which is more than I could say for any boy to that point, but after a while... The initial thrill of discovery just kind of faded. But convinced this might be that moment I'd been waiting for, I let Kenny show me he was the one God intended me to be with. Maybe, I thought, the feelings I'd heard about are just exaggerated. Maybe they need to build up. We made out for half an hour, I guess, before he worked up the nerve to push a little further, and his hands moved from my shoulders and arms to my waist and thighs, accidentally brushing the parts of me he really wanted to touch. It felt good to keep my eyes closed and focus on the feeling rather than the dingy basement and the glow of his television and the weird open-mouthed faces Kenny kept making— I emptied my mind of the physical reality and tried to find a spark of that primal urge deep inside me. If not Kenny, who? Dyson Reed with his chiseled abs and sparkling blue eyes didn't do it for me. The last boy to give me pause and steal my breath as he crossed the parking lot at Sheets? Nope. Nothing. Through the stream-of-consciousness parade of faces, muscles, and fantasies played out in the role my Kenny dutifully played for me— It was the sudden image of my biology partner, Katrina Chow, that really lit my fuse. My eyes closed. The idea of kissing Katrina Chow's pouty, glossy mouth excited me. Suddenly, I felt something new and strange, yet overpowering, that I wanted. Really bad. I slipped my fingers around the sides of Kenny's head, locked my fingers around back, and I kissed him. Not just some awkward pressing of lips, but a thorough exploration of touch and taste that made my heart race and my face flush. Kenny was startled by this, but I kept pushing. In my blissful darkness, Katrina was mine, and she wanted me. The feeling of being the dominant partner thrilled me, so I pushed her thighs apart and pressed myself between them, leaning into the warm softness of her body. She leaned in and attacked my neck, kissing and tickling it while the rush of hot breath made me groan with the surge of pleasure I'd never experienced before. I began unbuttoning her shirt, pulled her to me, and felt her chest rising and falling rapidly against mine. Her hands slipped underneath my T-shirt, and I felt the electricity of her hands touching my skin and sliding gracefully but carefully towards my and then I felt something else that took me out of the moment entirely. Katrina's image vanished, along with the third-floor biology lab, back into the dingy basement. In our moments of writhing and groping, we'd worked our way into a position where I had to face the fact that this was not Katrina, but a boy who I cared for, but was now prepared, fully prepared, for something I could never give him. I felt him against me, grinding my left naked thigh with his denim-covered crotch. I was confused and frightened by both my fantasy and this new reality that a boy, any boy, was trying to have me, and I suddenly went limp. My hands moved from Kenny's naked chest back to his neck. He kept kissing me moving from my neck back to my mouth, breathing heavily and lost in his own moment of pleasure. I debated pushing him away. I was uncomfortable, but I didn't feel it was fair to him. He made the impressive and bold move to try unbuttoning my shorts, but I gently guided his hands back up my body. I was about to move his hands off of my chest when he whispered in my ear that he loved me and made one final thrust and a shake that made me fear he might have gone into one of his rare seizures. But then his body relaxed, including the grip he'd put on my tender parts, and finally brought his own little fantasy to an end. As his breathing eased and he worked himself onto the sofa next to me, I kept my eyes closed, afraid of what I'd feel when I saw him. Sure, guys will say anything in a passionate rush, but Kenny was serious. He told me he loved me right at the start, before any touchy gropey stuff started. He opened himself to share something that both scared and thrilled him. And I responded by giving myself to him physically, but I wanted nothing from him in return. I wondered how he would feel to know the passion I brought to give him. That kind of pleasure was meant for a woman he probably didn't even know. I was actually disappointed that he didn't do what the other two boys did when they got to that point. Roll off and check their text messages. He stayed, which made me feel even lower and more uncomfortable. I finally had to open my eyes, and there was my Kenny, sweet Kenny Carthizer, in the greatest moment of his life so far, with a look of total bliss that, I tried my best to reciprocate. He asked me if I was okay, which I thought a little odd, but sweet. And then, somewhat nervously, if I'd had the same moment he just had in his jeans. I lied and said I thought I did. I touched his face and smiled. That wasn't forced. I truly cared for Kenny. I was happy for him, and... I even felt a little blessed to have someone so devoted to me. We lay together for a while after, and he fell asleep during the final ten minutes of whatever it was we'd been watching. As he slept, I cried in silence. Not for what had happened on that sofa, but for the final shocking realization that I didn't want Kenny or any other boy. I wanted Katrina. I wanted Mandolin from my study group and I realized that my unusual feelings for that dumb cheerleader dating Tyson Reed were not envy. That's how I knew I was different. Wrestling with how to tell Kenny, I cried for a while longer, and then the end of the movie woke him up. I guess he woke up to a bit of discomfort in his pants because he quickly kissed my cheek, rolled off the sofa, and hustled away to the bathroom. I thought through how best to deal with the panic and the shame I felt, the disappointment in myself and the wrenching pain in my gut that was worse than Kenny's crotch burn or the budding fear that I was some kind of abomination to my lord and savior. I felt like a monster for what I wanted. I thought I might be sick in the head like my pastor suggested was wrong with all gay people. I quietly hoped it was just that I was secretly scared of getting pregnant or just going too far with a boy before marriage. But deep down, I understood that I was some kind of freak with a secret, a girl with a big problem. My first words to him when he got back were the hardest. We have to talk, I said. It was that night that I realized my ability to weave a convincing lie. Kenny was not what my pastor would call a friend of the faith. I was not ready, I claimed, to accept a lover without the Holy Spirit entering me first. Poor Kenny. He thought he'd offended me somehow. He actually apologized. What could I tell him? Be honest and say that if I thought more of him as a girl, it might be okay? Maybe I'd lie a little and suggest he just didn't trip my trigger? No. In the moment... I decided to play his own beliefs against mine. I asked him to pray with me for guidance. I asked him to come to a faith that neither of us believed in. In the end, he fell for the bluff and we parted friends with a special moment to share. It's hard enough being a teenager anywhere. I was a suburban kid in a Christian home with loving but strict parents and I never lost touch with my blessings. But it was a cold, cruel time when I felt alone in a world that had changed around me. I felt that the Jill Woodbine I needed to show was a costume and an act. Now, here I am. Jill Woodbine. It's a byline. It's a label. Who you think I am is what I let you believe me to be. What I am? Well, true believer, you'll have to come along and find out. Red Molly is an anchor. I've lost so much, and I know that this is my attempt to protect what I think is all I have left. I can't think about Mom. About anyone I've lost. We all have our triggers. I have an anchor. Red Molly, I'm coming, sweetheart. If I have to break this warehouse down block by block, I will find you. Let them try and stop me.